0: Welcome back, humanoids, to Season 4, Episode 6 of Bell to Bell with Robert Blaze. I am your host, Professor Jeremy (laughs) Vollmer, and joining us now, Robert Blaze.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, got a snicker out of me there, Professor. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, wrestling fans. So did the humanoids, by the way, Consider today's title and list and who we got on this list today. Hey, I just want to say something, man. I i don't know, man. I'm just kind of kicking out of things here. Uh, we just talked a little bit off air. I think one of my problems might be I might be backed up, man. I haven't had Melanie over since this uh, corona, you know. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of just standing back at six foot and social distancing, you know, wearing my mask when I do go out. Man, no Melanie, no foot jobs. Anything else, you know, I can't do it. I'm just being responsible. So I might be backed up a little bit, but that might be the problem. But anyway, we're going to have a a good podcast.
0: I understand it completely because not only am I backed up, I actually got dumped because of this shit because I can't travel.
1: Oh, that's right, man. You was doing a long-distance
0: thing. Yep, yep. Uh,
1: More than a six-foot thing. (laughs) Uh
0: You know, me, I just had a heart attack a year and a half ago, so I'm a little leery about getting this shit. I mean, I should be fine, because, I mean, that just means my arteries are blocked, not that my heart was damaged, but still, it hits your respiratory system, and I'm like, "Uh, yeah, I don't really have room to play around with that.
1: So, with that said, hopefully everyone else out there is being uh, responsible and wearing your mask when you do go out, and also practicing social distancing when you're out and about. And, uh, hopefully our wrestling fans that enjoy this podcast are are doing good, man. Putting them out there as long as we can, right?
0: Yep, I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. Yeah, I, I watched a lot of Bockwinkel, Heenan, and Stevens this week getting ready for this episode, so uh, if I... If I come off a little meaner than usual, it's just because of what I've been watching.
1: That's just a silver scorpion and you coming out. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm.
1: That's what
0: we'll say. That's uh, kind of it. Those three guys were fucking money on a microphone. And you know what? You watch them wrestle. Those two guys are great wrestlers, but they wrestle like such chicken shits when they have an actual match. (laughs) Oh, it is just so good. It really is. Yeah.
1: And I I appreciate you sending me that link to the uh, San Francisco tapings. I watched Piper, Oh, what you sent me, yeah. And there was a lot of other stuff. Yeah. Uh, you sent me 1978, I think, from San Francisco. I yeah.
0: And so, Piper, he he like just fucks with the guy for like three minutes before the <laughs> yeah. match starts. Yeah. I've never really seen this. See, the guys in the 70s, I think, were just better at ring psychology. It just yeah. in general. Because, you know, I've been watching a lot of these old matches like that. Never once does a guy come out and, and call his upcoming competition a bitch or things along that line. Harley Race, all those guys, they come out and they talk about what a great competitor the person they're about to wrestle is. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, what a hard ass, you know, now, but I'm the champion, so I'm just that much better than you.
1: That much better, yeah. Yeah. You know, I started bringing this up last week. I did this on a speech um, for a college course of communication I was taking. And we talked about Dory Funk last week. One of the things I did during my speech, and I told you about his gunslinger uh, site he had earlier on, when early in the infancy of the internet or whatever, someone was doing a promo down there in Texas and they started off with, Shut up, you stupid idiots. And Dory Sr. says, Stop, stop, cut the tape, cut the tape right now. We can't be calling our fans stupid idiots. Anyway, Dory went on to explain during this little thing about how to cut a promo. Of course, this was written probably in the early 2000s, but he's reflecting back probably to, what, the mid-60s or whatever. Yeah. And he's saying, you know, here's the two things you don't do. Of course, times do change. Calling the fans idiots and putting the fans down on a promo because you want to get them in the building. Not necessarily the way it has to be when you're in the ring, but also he was talking about don't put your opponent down. Build him up so when you win, it means something, you know. And that's, that's what people, I think, sometimes if you call them yellow or a sissy or a pussy or whatever, you got to build them up. Um, and some of these guys were the best at doing that. Like you said, Piper just comes out and, you know, hey, you might be tough, but I'm a little bit tougher. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm the better, you know. Anyway, there's a lot on that with that Piper and uh, Stevens and Bachwinkle stuff because you don't think of them maybe until maybe early 80s. Maybe first time I see Piper, like 83-ish, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, he's overworked for Crockett, so. There's a lot of good wrestling out there if you look for it.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and YouTube, I would never even thought to check YouTube for uh, Roy Shire stuff, you know.
1: Yeah, well, you I, found some good stuff.
0: Yeah. Uh, they got stuff from Portland on there, too, which, of course, Piper did this Portland, Washington, California run. That's kind of where he came from. So,
1: anyway, let's talk about this week's show. Yes. We're going to be doing an AWA. So, we kind of jumped around there. Getting warmed up here, but yeah, we're done AWA this week. But I hope people have done have enjoyed pre NWA and last week was NW Day. If you're just joining us this week, go back and listen to Notes 2 podcast. I really thought that NWA podcast was really good. The professor here has been giving us a history lesson, sending me a lot of notes, giving me some research and stuff, and and we've been working together behind the scenes, of course, to pull us together. And I'm telling you, man, there's, it's just uh, some of the fans' feedback I've gotten has been nothing but positive for how, you know, we're really bringing to light um, some of the names from the past and keeping them alive uh, on this podcast and also uh, – uh, The history of the the sport of professional wrestling, basically, you just give them a history lesson, man. It's been awesome lately. So go back and check out, if you haven't already done so, the uh, pre-NWA show and then also the NWA show. And, um, man, I have to say it. My head, maybe that's why I'm a little bit loopy right now. My head, that chair shot last week kind of got me at the end, you know.
0: Well, look, we we can't sell a product we don't believe in. (laughs) Yeah. You
1: know, <laughs> well, I believe in that damn chair you yeah. hit me with is real, damn it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I figure we can sell chairs. Uh, you know what else I'm hoping we can sell? What? Uh, this week's episode is brought to you by El Cabon Guitars. When you absolutely pos- positively have to crack somebody's skull, El Cabon Guitars.
1: Man, I hope I'm not on receiving end of one of these by the best podcasts, but I got a feeling.
0: <laughs> well, you know. But uh, I- but anyhow, I-, I think maybe we've gone round and round on this. Let's uh let's discuss the AWA, shall we?
1: Yes we shall. First champ was Vern Gagne. Last champ, Larry Zabisco. Who held it the most and the longest? Well, that's going
0: to yeah. be, be Grandpa Vern again. Yeah,
1: There you go. Yeah. And for the shortest time, three different guys held the title for about seven days, and that was Vern, go figure, mm-hmm. uh, the Mighty Igor, and uh, Dick the Bruiser held it for a week at one time. So those three were the ones that um, held it for the shortest amount of time.
0: I don't think guys like Crusher and uh, Dick the Bruiser were the kind of guys you put the title on. I just, you know, I got that feeling, you know. So the AWA's World Championship was created when... Vern Gagne challenged Pat O'Connor, who was the NWA champion, to a match, gave him 90 days. He declared him the first AWA champion, gave him 90 days to defend the title, or he was just going to take it for himself. So that's how Vern became the first AWA champion.
1: And I'm glad you explained that, because there was a little bit of controversy there with with people saying, oh, Pat O'Connor, and I had to keep reading into that to make sure I understood it to be correctly how he actually did it, because he gave him the 90 days, and if he didn't, then Vern was basically going to be the champion, which was the plan all along.
0: Yeah. Yes. Good. Well, Good. look, I mean, Vern, so what he had the Minneapolis territory as part of the NWA with uh, Wally Carbo and um, Tony Stetcher. Wally Carbo and Tony Stetcher started it, and that's Joe Stetcher's brother. Okay. And when Tony sold out, I guess that's when Vern bought in, and so he was an NWA member for a long time. And uh, in 1960, Vern kept pushing, Vern and Carbo kept pushing to get a title shot, and they just couldn't quite get there, couldn't quite get there. So he declared independence and created the AWA.
1: Yeah, and it became a pretty pretty great territory. It lasted quite a long time, too, as we'll discuss here. Yeah, and Some of the cities they did, they did uh, Minneapolis, they did Milwaukee, Chicago, Omaha, uh, Winnipeg. I know when I was up in Canada, uh, a couple of the guys that worked out there was telling me, you know, they grew up on AWA because they was getting it back in Winnipeg when they, they was, you know, boys my age, you know, mm-hmm. at the time when I was watching Memphis. Uh, Denver, Salt Lake City, Las Vegas, San Francisco, Phoenix, and throughout the middle uh, Midwest region. I'm sure they had a bunch of uh a small uh tank towns that they did you know and house show towns that they did as well good oh, stuff yeah. a lot of, a lot of a lot of guys and girls came working through there you know through the years oh yeah uh, they had a lot of top tier talent and i know back when we was talking i think last week if not off the year, maybe one but we were talking about you know back in the magazines when you got the after magazines every month uh, you know the aw was listed you had your nwa and your wwf but you always had an AWA, and it was like, it was one of the big three, you know, with their champions, yep. whoever they were throughout the – like I said, throughout the early to, you know, late 60s, all the way through until it shut down. Um, but, yeah, you always had those rankings, and those guys had their pictures on the covers and inside the magazine as well. So it wasn't like it was a, a third tier, you know, of, uh, of the talent or anything, some bush league. They were – they were well-recognized and well-respected, the uh, American Wrestling Alliance was.
0: Oh, yeah. there's, a, there's Association, a big,
1: I'm sorry. Yeah, no,
0: there's a big chunk of the 60s and 70s where AWA and NWA were the two big companies. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, Absolutely.
0: so those were the two world titles. Now, of course, the WWF starts to pull out and pull ahead of everybody, and we'll get into that as we go here. But um, let's go ahead and hit a couple honorable mentions as far as the AWA title goes.
1: Okay, I'll go first for world champion i have to go with none other than jerry the king Lawler. Lawler won the title uh, may 9th 1988 held it for 256 days he beat kurt henning um, but then it was eventually um, it was stripped of him and it was vacated and we'll talk about vacated i am vacated that's, i think that's the first time the title was vacated in awa uh shout out right there but uh lawlor man um you know, I think it took a long time uh, from when I was watching back in the early 80s, we'll say 82, 83, 84, thinking, you know, oh, man, Jerry Lawler, Jerry Lawler. Because, you know, we're still watching a lot of Memphis back then. And we're, myself and my friend's stuff, we're thinking, he's going to be a champion one day, he's going to be a champion one day. Of course, that finally came in 88, uh-huh. and everyone around here in this territory and stuff was real happy for the king, even though I live, you know, eight, ten hours from Memphis. But, you know, that's the TV we got, and we're really happy to see, uh, you know, Jerry Lawler getting his – just do if you will you know having a championship belt that you know he's southern champion for so long and, and all the other titles they had down through their southeastern and all that the king of memphis of course and selling that place out week after week after week jerry lawler was you know he was always over He he's a good showman uh, whether he worked as a baby face or as a heel, and it was just time that he got the title, I guess. You know, he worked it enough, and I know he had some really good matches with Bockwinkle. Uh, I know there's one on, on YouTube I've seen, not here recently, but it's, I know it's really, really good. Of course, I have a little history of Lawler myself, just a very professional history at that, because I got to work with him at Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and a complete gentleman. Spoke to him before the match, just getting there and listening, kid, It'll all be good, you know, kind of thing. And after a match, you know, worth thanks and go about your business, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, but I was really honored because that's someone I grew up watching, you know. And here I am in the ring, you could say, with the the biggest star in Tennessee, or or we was doing the East Tennessee versus the West Tennessee deal, and I was representing Smoky Mountain Wrestling, he was rep- representing the USWA or whatever. But his former AWA champion, nonetheless, and I got to be in a ring with him. Slide one in over on him, you know, with a one, two, three, on a roll up. That's the way it's booked. <laughs> yeah. But uh, my hat's off the to Jerry the King Lawler, man, because I grew up watching him. And I really, I wish, you know, I was talking last week too about uh, having an opportunity to work in Memphis. I, I'd like to went out there and actually work the program with him for, you know, eight weeks or, or throughout a two- or three-month run there if he had, uh, you know, thought enough of me to put me on top with him or something. I don't know if that ever been the case. But nonetheless, I did get my one day of working with him and slid over on him. And uh, for that, my hat's off, and that's why he's on the honorable mention for me, that he's not one of the top five, but he is on the honorable mention list.
0: Yeah, um, and that Southern title, that was the AWA Southern title, correct?
1: Yes, yes, yeah.
0: sir, yes. Uh, So that was, I mean, that was one of the primary single t- singles titles in Memphis. Can't really find much to back this up, but it's worth mentioning because it's Otto Vons from Austria, who had a catch promotion in Austria. Now, the reason this guy stands out to me, and I'm having trouble finding anything to back it up, but uh, listening to one of Jim Cornette's podcasts with uh, Brian Last... They basically said that this guy basically just paid to get the AWA title for a bit. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And it would, you know, it would have come during that period where Vern was struggling and trying not to, uh, sell his, uh, that giant piece of property he had in Minneapolis or in Minnesota. Uh, so I could totally see somebody going like, Hey, I'll give you this much if you make me world champion. And you wouldn't even think about it. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Here's the belt. (laughs) You know, (laughs) make sure you spell Ganya correctly. Okay.
1: There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sign it over. But yeah, although he he ran those big um, tournaments over there in Germany. I never went on there, but I know a couple people have. Where really, they basically perform in the same town for like six weeks at a time, and uh, just under a big top, basically. hmm The guys live out in um, they stay out in uh, uh, like RVs and rented campers and things like that, right there on the on the grounds. Excuse me. And every night they have the circus of. Um, stars coming out. Now you go around the ring and then each night is like basically a big six-week tournament. And I know he go Hamburg and I know he'd go a couple other towns. I don't know him cause I haven't been there. Excuse me. But um, I know he was a huge star over in, um, in Germany and I guess worldwide too because I'm sure he went to uh, Japan and then with this title here, I'm just curious. I didn't want to uh, put you on a spot there, but I'm curious, did he defend that any here in the U.S., or did he take it back to Germany, or do you have any more history on that? Just you, curious.
0: You know what? I don't. I, I'm still trying to get some info on it. So I'm what? I'm just I'll, wondering. Yeah, I so, think
1: I bet he took it back
0: is what I'm thinking. Well, I'm thinking, I think he had it probably in uh, in Europe and maybe Asia. I don't know. I don't remember how long he had it.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, man. He, he would have probably just taken it back to do the circus, uh, the um, uh, circus of champions, if you will. And probably kept it for however long they agreed on it and then not either brought it back or had one of the guys drop it to him over there, you know, yeah. to get it back to Burn. So, yeah, all right, man, all once Um yep. Had correspondence with him a couple of times when I was in my career younger. Um, I sent some photos over and stuff like that. Never never actually got an opportunity to go over and work, though. So, um I don't know. I've heard good and bad. That would have been experience for me at that point, you know.
0: Yeah, but that, I mean, that's that's wrestling, right? I mean, everybody oh, yeah. Was, yeah, I mean. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I was, I was wanting to go out. If I could have yeah. went, believe me, I would have. Oh, yeah. Um, I just, the interest just wasn't, on both of our ends, wasn't as, you know, enough to keep pursuing uh, other than a few correspondence letters, you know, back in the day. Yeah. Through snail mail and, and, and um, the photos, not even a video, you know, so. And of course, that goes before the mouth. You have to know someone that's working there usually. And at that time, I didn't. <clears throat> I ended up knowing a couple guys that worked there, but but I I didn't know them at that time. So uh,
0: anyway. yeah. Well, that would have been kind of cool because like you get to really experience kind of like the carny roots of pro wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Actual traveling show. You know that, that, that. Yeah, I could see how that'd be cool. Yeah. All yeah. right. Okay. So those are our honorable mentions. We want to do a couple special mentions real quick. Because we would be remiss not to mention the fact that Hulk Hogan actually had two wins and title switches over Nick Bockwinkle. Only one of them is recognized and the other one is reversed immediately.
1: Yeah. And I know originally we, when we came up this list, we were just kind of, you know, BSing around off the air one day as to what, you know, who, by the way, who do we got next coming weeks? And we had Hogan on this list as number five. Mm-hmm. And he's like, we need to work him in on her in some way. And, uh, anyways, that's why he's got such a special mention. Uh, he is Hulk Hogan. I think the whole deal too, is he left over, uh, um, some t-shirt profits. If I'm not mistaken. He wanted some more money off the t-shirts and Vern wanted some more money off t-shirts and then pretty much the rest of the history because he went to WWF and it's, you know, Hey, you know what? You don't want me having this title. You know, you want me dropping it back to, to Winkle, You want to keep stripping me of it or whatever. I'll just, uh, I'll take my business elsewhere, and I think he done. I think he made the right decision. Oh yeah, at, uh, because you know what would you say here? Um, the exchange was for for a majority of Hogan's merch sales. Well, you know, uh, I think Hogan come out pretty good on a shirt deal. Yeah,
0: well, I guess I guess what Vern wanted was not just the majority of his um, t shirt sales. He wanted most of his Japan money too.
1: Yeah, that's what you put on here. I wasn't sure about yeah. that. So he was 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 he under contract and he was trying to make money off of Hogan while he went there for X amount of dollars per week. He was supposed to give him a kickback of fifteen or twenty percent. Or
0: that's what I that's the way I'm guessing it is that he you know he worked for Vern and Vern farmed him out probably to Japan. Yeah. And yeah. so you know back in those days your Booker booked you in different territories as well. You know. Yeah. Uh, that's part of where that term Booker came from. Um. So they could farm you out to somebody else. Well, I I imagine what was going on was Vern's going, hey, you know, I'll put the title on you, but you're going to have to give me, you know, we'll just, I'm just going to throw a number out. 60% of your Japan money and 60% of your t-shirt sales.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, fuck that. I mean, Hulk Hogan was already becoming the biggest thing on the planet as far as wrestling was.
1: Right. Right. You know,
0: he'd already been in Rocky. He was breaking away. Like he was taking off as, as the guy already. Um, you know, and Vern, Vern just believed in promoting wrestlers, you know, like he, he, he'd hire powerhouse guys, but he's not putting the title on them. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. He, he was a little bit on, on a last of that, I guess the, the foresight he'd have the foresight to see, uh, maybe he knew what that, I think they had a big show in 80, eighty six or whatever it was they tried to super the big promotion they did. I'm I'm drawing a blank to be honest with you. But I think he may be the last one to say, you know, yeah, I should have done this when I had the chance. And I think uh I think Greg Ganya on one of those um round tables even says, you know, hey, if we just would have, you know, just would have had enough I don't know what the, the word is, but uh not be such a hard ass, I guess, to understand yeah. times are changing and um uh big cable companies will be taking over and And uh, here's your chance to sell out and make a lot of money versus uh, just going under and and not making a lot of money. Yeah. So, having a foresight, I guess. Yeah. Taking your ways. Yeah. Old school versus, you know, something new's coming.
0: Well, and that's the thing is that McMahon could see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he could see, like, hey, here's a guy. We put a rocket, you know, put a a rocket on his back, and he's going to be what carries us to being a national company. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. Everybody that else was, was just kind of yeah, and everybody else was, was just kind of dicking around with the idea. And McMahon's the one going, Nah, fuck you guys. I know. I actually know how to do this. I know yeah. what it's going to take.
1: And as you put here in the notes, I think it says um, that was the wedge right there. Yep. That was the wedge between uh, to trample the AWA. Hogan was the man to, you know, transitioned over. Oh yeah. Like I said, Vince had the foresight, burned it, and there's the wedge that he needed. And um, the rest is history, basically.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, you got to look. When Hogan goes, uh, McMahon gets Mean Gene, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Dr. D. David Schultz, uh, Jesse Ventura, pulls a chunk of people away from Vern. Now, the shitty part of that is then he immediately starts running shows in Vern's territory with Vern's guys. Yeah. Yeah, so when he, when McMahon complains about Eric Bischoff reading him, I'm just like, fuck you, pal. (laughs) know. Yeah. I wonder where he and got I, that. Good wonder where he got that idea from.
1: <laughs> yeah. The vacated the title as we mentioned has been vacated. It was vacated January 20th uh, 1989, it was vacated again, December 12th, 1990, so I am vacated, you're over at least a couple of times out there, uh, one of them, my man Lawler, I guess, when he got stripped, I'm not sure, even when, when Hogan got stripped, I'm not sure, but anyway, I do know this, your cousin deactivated, won the title, January 12th, 1991, so I am, uh, uh, vacated and deactivated out there getting over on us, Jeremy, once again.
0: That's it, yeah. You know, uh, surprising for a guy I've never seen. He sure turns up a lot in the title picture of these companies.
1: I was thinking that, man, I was thinking I've got to see this account, so if you're not, go ahead and follow them. Uh, I am vacated. It's a pretty good account about pro wrestling, and pro wrestling history, and uh, I've enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, I don't know who the hell it is, but they're doing a hell of a job on that account. On our pages, I don't know next week if I'm sure it will. I don't know WW what WWF and and WWE coming up next week? But this week in AWA, he showed up in the He showed up in the pre NWA. He showed up in the NWA. He's probably over there in Japan somewhere.
0: Oh, I'm sure. He's
1: now showed up in the AWA on us. So who the hell you are? Keep getting
0: over. All right. Uh, so before we get into their top five, we'll just do a quick a couple points about the AWA. Again, it was based in Minneapolis. It existed from 1960 to 1991. So it had a strong, you know, a strong twenty-year run out of that thirty-one years, at least.
1: Yeah, at least, yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, during its heyday, Vern Gagne and Wally Carbo ran it. Their feature was, you know, in their in their title scene, wrestlers.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Strong technical wrestlers, man. Yeah. And um, that got over. I mean, that's what was selling. The the the, the, the uh, billboard still said wrestling this week. Anchor FM. We did talk about that probably because that's who's helping us. That's what we're going through on this podcast, correctly?
0: Yes, it is. Correct,
1: rather? Okay. Tell and me a little bit about it.
0: Volume levels aside, that's that's what I had to say about Anchor FM.
1: <laughs> okay. Good deal. Well, I'm glad to be a part of it, man. Worked out pretty well for these. Uh, this is episode six of season four, if I'm not mistaken, right?
0: Yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right. So
1: we're doing all right with them. We are. Uh, with that said, I'd like to plug something real quick, too, if you don't care. I'm going to plug my collar and elbow site, okay? It's collarandelbowbrand.com. It's t shirts and just a whole bunch of different things. It's, it's wrestling passion meet street fashion from toboggans and hats and, and, and again t-shirts i got some really nice collar and elbow t-shirts if you'd like to get 10 percent off your order use the code blaze B-L-A-Z-E, all capital letters and you can go to tinyurl.com slash collar b-b-c-o-l-l-a-r so it's tinyurl.com slash bb collar that'll take you to the collar and elbow site And like I said, it's uh, wrestling passion meets street fashion. Uh, they got some really cool stuff there. I usually wear about probably three or four days a week. I wear a collar and elbow shirt that I have. I've got about... I've probably got five different ones I wear. One of them's like the old Pro Wrestling Illustrated book, but it says Collar and Elbow in the same blade out. It's red. It's really nice. But again, if you use BB bbcollar take you there. Visit the site, see if you like something. If you want to get 10% off the order, use the code word Blaze B-L-A-Z-E, and I get a little bit of kickback, and I appreciate that very much. I think you'll dig some of the stuff they've got on there. If you like, if you like professional wrestling designs, and and I know they got the Blaze on there, but I'm talking they've got all kinds of other designs. Good brothers Inc. and just a whole bunch of, you know, good people involved in it. Luke Gallows, now Snow, and some really good people were involved with them. Check out their page, man.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, a great place. I'm I'm definitely gonna buy some shirts from there. I haven't yet, but I'm definitely going to. This is the five most consequential AWA champions. And number five okay. Larry's
1: Abisco, because you mentioned the humanoids earlier mm-hmm. and the spuds and the potato heads. Larry mm-hmm. uh, Larry's Abisco. Toodle title reigns for a total of 666 days. I'm looking at your notes here, so I'm going to steal them from you real quickly. Zabisco won a battle royal, last eliminated Tom Zink to win the vacant championship, and I'll let you go from there for some things. And I'll have a little story about Mr. Zabisco.
0: Oh, sure. So I'm guessing uh, I am vacated with stripped of the title before this battle royal. (laughs) Um, Okay. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so Larry had a couple runs at the AWA where he'd go away and then come back, and then at the end... The reason I'm going to call him one of the most consequential is that you could see that the AWA was really spiraling around the drain. Anybody that Vern put the title on that was worth a shit was just going to get snapped up by the WWF at this point. Yeah. The reason the reason that Zabisco becomes consequential in this is that Larry came back for family reasons. Larry was Vern's son-in-law. And when you can't trust anybody else, you put the title on family. Or yourself. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, yeah. I mean, that's because you know, I mean, if you're owner of the company, you know you're not going anywhere, so the title's safe with you. Right. And, you know, this is a period of time, I mean, there's rumors that Vern offered the Iron Sheik $100,000 to break Hulk Hogan's leg and bring, that's the, right. yeah, bring the WWF title to him at the AWA, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, there was some underhanded shit going on here. Now, the other reason I like to put Larry in here is that this guy got so much heat, from fucking Bruno San Martino during his short tenure in the WWF, that he dined out on at the rest of his career.
1: Yeah. Living legend. The that's living it. legend killer. Yeah. The living legend, though. He took that title from his mentor. He beat him and he, you know, hell. He said, now I'm the living legend. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's heat, man. It's still that your is. mentor's
0: gimmick. <laughs> yep. No, that'll carry you a long ways.
1: <laughs> yeah. And uh, he was a tremendous worker, decent body, not overly huge, but had that wrestler's body. Man, could he talk, though? Yeah. Man, he could talk. When I met him, he was a WCW commentator, of course. And so that's, that's why his was leading was a talk. Zobisco could talk. I was in a uh, match, a six-man assist, so either a tag or a six-man tag. I can't remember which, honestly, can't recall what it was. But I do recall this. It would have had to been a six-man tag. Let me just put that out there. I'm going to backtrack. It could have even been a tag. Either way. It was against these guys I really liked a whole lot, had nothing but respect for, but it was Steve Regal and, and Dave Taylor, John Blank, all of a sudden, super kick, spit it out. Oh, uh, uh, Chris Adams. Chris Adams, yeah, because I know, okay, so there's some heat between uh, uh, Regal and, and Adams. So Regal and Dave Taylor were good friends, but I don't think they was the same type of Englishman. that They just didn't get along. So I'm over there for a couple other guys who I can't recall. But anyway, we're in a match, and basically Regal would come up to me beforehand because it going to be a match for about nine minutes. And, and they were going to basically short arm – what's his name? Shit. Uh, Chris Adams. Mm-hmm. They weren't going to give him a whole lot in the ring. Well, I was with two other guys, but they're supposed to just basically do it just a, a squash. That's what it amounted to. But Regal come to me beforehand because I'd worked with all them guys, and they, always, they didn't really hang around like Seth Adams that much, but hang around Finley some. Mm-hmm. So anyway, when I worked with those guys, they always gave me a lot uh, for whatever reason. I respect or just because they knew I could work or whatever. So Regal comes to me at night and says, uh, he goes, Bobby, be, have a real short arm tonight. He goes, when you get in get right back out. So it's really funny. So when a match took place, basically they're glomming someone. I, I will not mention names. I do I do remember two guys I was doing some TVs with that time. But uh, anyway, they was getting the crap beat out. Boom, bada, boom, bada, boom, boom. they go to tag, right? They'd throw them over and they'd tag me in. But well, as soon as I'd come in, I'd grab one of them. I'm like, side grab Regal. He'd say, shoot me off sunset. And I'd do a sunset and then he'd say tag. And I'd tag one of the other guys back in real quick. And they'd just start beating the hell out of them again. So every time I got in, they would give me a spot either Taylor and I didn't work. And I had worked with, uh, I had nothing against Adams I had worked with him before, but I knew he wasn't going to give me anything because they, they were going over strong. Yeah. So I said, I ain't worried about that. Regal and Taylor was what I was worried about. Cause they going to make me look good. And so long story short, man, every time I tagged in a match, I was going over, click, 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 you know, sunset flip here, back elbow there, you know, body slam, tag out real quick, getting something hot, so I look good, but when I was out, of course, they're getting a heck beat out. Of them. they're getting a heck beat out. Of them. every time, and I'm in there reaching uh you know with my my arm, but i I'm not really wanting to tag, of course, so I'm short arming like you know, don't even try to get the fuck out of ring pal, so in that time, every time they'd come over, I might turn around, and look out to the audience or whatever, just you know, doing what I what I was doing with the ring, well unbeknownst to me, because, you know, I can't hear the announcers or anything. But, um, I, of course, after the match, I thank Taylor and, and, and Regal and put them over huge, of course. The, this is the Thursday Night Thunder. So uh, the monitors are back here, and, you know, boys can hear stuff that's going to the and watching the show and this and that. So uh, I don't see – I don't see uh, – of oh shit. Zabisco that night, but I see him the next day at the um, getting on. – we're actually on the same flight. I think we're flying out of Texas. Anyway, one of the Armstrongs already told me in the back, they was like, man, if you get a chance, you need to thank Bisco. He put you over the whole time during the commentary, man. He goes, every time them guys were in, you know, he was jobbing them out. And it was like, uh, you know, Bobby plays this every time Bobby plays. He's just putting you over the whole time. He knew what was going on. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. So I think it was Steve Ar- or Scotty Armstrong that told me that. Anyway. The next day i see him at the airport early in the morning you know we're getting your coffees trying to get your flights and this and that and i just said hey man i heard you really put me over on a on a telecast last night or you know program and he said, Oh, yeah. He goes, It's oh, easy to see what's going on. You know, just being professional, Bobby, just being professional. And he put it over like real nonchalantly, but but he knew what was going on too. I mean, you know, Stevie Wonder or Ray Charles could have seen what was going on if they was watching that match. It's just really funny. Didn't mean to go all the way around the world there just across the sidewalk. But uh no. Bisco was always funny and always real polite and really professional. And I'm glad he didn't bury me on that, you know, when, he, when he's done a commentary during the match. But old school and smart like that, he knew what was going on. So he just went with it about. How the other guys, if they just leave Bobby in there, they'd have won the match, you know, just putting it over big time against the English guys, you know. And, uh, again, it's it really funny, too, for me in the ring because, one, I'm getting to look good, but also I see, them, <laughs> I see what they're doing, too, uh And I never had a problem with them, but they didn't like Chris Adams and I don't know why I couldn't remember his name earlier. I had really a couple good matches with him, uh, but they was they was short-arming him, too. <laughs> they would hardly let him tag in, and he'd back up and they'd smack his back and tag in real quick. I mean, it was just, it was just pretty funny just being in a ring like that, seeing, seeing a little fun behind-the-scenes stuff like that, yeah. but also to know that um, Zabisco was being a true professional on a microphone as well, at least getting my character over when he could have been burying me, you know. Oh, yeah,
0: you know, I never even really considered that. I guess it would be real easy for a color guy or a play-by-play guy to fuck over somebody in the ring. I can see, you know, I never even really thought about that, because, you know, everybody is still kind of working their own angle at all times.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's my Larry, um, Larry Zabisco story. So, anyway... Yeah, I think it's time to move on, probably.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, let's go on to number four, which is going to be the Lariat, Stan Hansen.
1: AWA champion, one title reign of 181 days. This week's book is The Last Outlaw by Stan Hansen. Folks, I'm going to tell you, it's one heck of a book. I've got it on Kindle, and I know we got a lot more to say about Stan Hansen. I'm just going to go ahead and put this plug in here real quick, yeah. Spencer. If you use com slash Stan Hansen, and it'll be a shortcut to The Last Outlaw by Stan Hansen. And uh, I'll tell you, it's one heck of a book. Go on Amazon and order it. Just use the um, com slash bbstanhansen, and the show will get a little bit of kickback out of that too, and we appreciate it very much. I know I'm going to let the professor say quite a few things here concerning Stan Hansen, then I'm going to read just a small excerpt out of the book if you don't mind. How's that?
0: Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Cause you know, and I think as we get to the end of this, there may be, there may be something in here that's more of a rumor than fact. So Stan Hansen defeated Rick Martell for the AWA championship. He was there for about a year. He went over to Japan. I guess the idea was that he was going to go defend the title in Japan, but Vern wanted him to drop the title to Nick Bockwinkle. So according to the stories, Stan Hansen calls Baba up and says, hey, is my deal still good if I come back without the title? And Baba tells him no. (laughs) So Stan jumps on a plane and flies to Japan. Yep. With the title.
1: (laughs) And I think he worked about six months over there with the title. I believe so, yeah. There's some controversy about the the way Stan, you know, the, the belt was taken care of at the end. He was supposed to return the belt. And I'm going to read this a small excerpt from his book, The Last Outlaw. And it talks about, you know, he was working a program for Nick and what the AWA wanted and what Vern wanted and what he had wished for. Again, like you said, he didn't, he, he took the title of Japan. Having said that, <clears throat> this is in quotes, having said that, I wasn't like a lot of guys who thought the promoters were out to screw them. I respected the fact that they invested money to promote talent, and they had a right to a good return on their investment. I had to find a balance between my welfare and a promoters making a fair return. I always knew I was going to return the belt. So when I returned to Mississippi from Japan in August, I called FedEx and arranged for a pickup. Now, here's what gets interesting, folks. There are many rumors about what I did to the old belt before I returned it. I pounded it into a small heap of metal. I shot it full holes with a shotgun. Truth is, I didn't intentionally do anything to it. I had an old era uh, 1950 tractor sitting on my property. It had two big wheels in the back, two small wheels in the front. It just so happened that while I was waiting for the FedEx truck to come to my house, I was driving around on that tractor, just enjoying the belt for one last time. Somehow, the belt slipped from my waist and fell under the tires of the tractor. Before I could apply the brakes, (laughs) the tractor ran over the belt. Not just once, but four times. Weird things happen sometimes. So it oh. fell off Stan's waist. Now you know the truth, the old AWA belt. It fell off his waist, and the old 1950 tractor ran over it four times. Um, he said the old AWA belt had been around for a long time, and um, as championship belts go, it was quite large. It was also dinged up quite a bit. He learned something else about the title belt. The officer had a newer belt to give uh, Nick and uh, when he was going to beat him, which is exactly what they did. So anyway, he just talks about, you know, being involved in a confrontation with a promoter would greatly added to my reputation of being an outlaw and a nonconformist. I was happy to be labeled an outlaw. So anyway, there's a little excerpt from that book. Again, it's at uh, tinyyearold.com slash and That's our book of the week. I'm, I'm more than Jeremy and myself going to start a book club, maybe give out a little uh, excerpt from the book and rate it. But I highly rate this book. I don't know what the cost is on Kindle or on Amazon, but I'll tell you what, if you're a wrestling fan or a Stan Hansen fan, get the book. It's five big stars, I'll tell you that right now. Uh, see, I do so, like that story.
0: <laughs> no, that's a great story because, I mean, because, you know, the, the rumor version of the story is he ran over it with a pickup truck, and obviously that's right. not true. Yeah.
1: That was what I had heard, too. Um, something else about that book, um, he puts, and I spoke to Stan and I wish, those pictures on my old computer somewhere where I went to see him, uh, one of his rare appearances. I talked to him about this in person. It really made my day, too. He talks about guys uh, getting in the ring and locking up and, and who could push who around and stuff. And he said that um, Steve Williams, he put Steve Williams over, of course, about how tough he was in the ring to, you know, you had to really make him move. But he said one guy he couldn't make move unless he unless he wanted to move, and that was Joe Malenko. And I heard Malenko had put um, Steve Williams, got uh, to make him move a little bit. You know, you go in my direction. But Stan Hansen, I, I remember Stan um uh, Joe and Dean both talking about, you know, how tough Stan Hansen was and watched the Lariat and all those things when I was back in training and stuff and and through the years. But when I read that, he really put over Joe Malenko about how what a uh, phenomenal worker he was, but he also talked about what a good shooter he was and how he saw him stretch guys in training. And uh, also, he wouldn't go if you didn't want him to go. When I asked Stan Hansen that in person, he said, oh, yeah. He said, uh, "He said, yeah. He goes, you couldn't get Joe to move anywhere. He didn't want to go. He put his body where he wanted it to, and your body went where he wanted it to go. And I, I think that just, you know, says a lot. Probably going back to my training too. You know, the the mentors I had as, as trainers uh, when I was c- coming up through the ranks in pro wrestling. So I just want to share that too. I, he puts over Joe Malenko, you know. So yeah." Uh,
0: Hell yeah! Well, anybody, yeah, anybody doesn't put over the Malankas doesn't doesn't really know what the fuck they're talking about, probably.
1: Man, he talks about him and Brody and him and Abby and just this book really. If you if you like Japanese wrestling, I'll tell you this: the whole this is a very thick book. Um, I'm not sure what the amount of pages it is, but I'll tell you, it's got a deep, deep history of the uh, uh, New Japan because he started off with New Japan. Mm-hmm. And it also has a deep history when he went to all Japan and we jumped over there and how him and Brody and, and how he got over all those years. Talks about the conditioning he did over there. Also, it talks that uh, one of the forwards, or two different forwards and uh, one is by Terry Funk who broke him in and uh, really puts over Stan Hansen, of course, because he wrote the forward to the book and, and helped him get into business and stuff. It's really interesting how much respect Stan Hansen had for the business, and he had a 27-year run in Japan, so... Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a lot right there, too. Well, he Here was... Here pr- he is on our list, you know? Yeah,
0: well, and he was right. probably the top gaijin wrestler in Japan, right? I mean... Oh, he, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He talks about that, yep. yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Now, if you guys ever want to really see something vicious... Get on YouTube and go look up Stan Hansen lariat, <laughs> and I found a couple super cuts of him knocking fuckers' heads off.
1: I think Mishawwa's the worst of it. He kills mishawa on a couple of those. Oh Jesus! Uh, if you type in anything else, I know it's Stan Hansen. Uh, that that like you said, he's just taking people's heads off. But uh, I think mishawa gets the worst of it on a couple of them. Oh
0: yeah. Now Bobby, I know I know that you hated taking clotheslines. Yes. Um, and I'll tell you what, when you go watch a guy who does a lariat version of the clothesline. You when you see guys start whacking each other with clotheslines like repeatedly in matches, you're just gonna be like, well, no, that fucker would be down, man. That guy would be yeah. out, you know. Yeah. It does change. You watch
1: Hanson do it. You watch Hanson do it. And them fuckers are not getting up. That's what a clothesline's meant to be. Yeah. You know, that's the lariat.
0: <laughs> oh Jesus! I mean, he just well. First, I guess I guess it's he's blind as a bat. I guess is really yep. the reason. And so when he that's swings, yeah, when he swings, he swings for the fences. And I mean, if you're in his fucking way, man, you're, you're paying the price. Yeah. You are That's paying the sure, price. Man. Yeah.
1: That's some good stuff there, man. So we got Hansen on the list. Uh, maybe time to move on.
0: It is time to move on. Let's go okay. to number three. Probably okay. one of my top two favorites in this company right here. Probably a lot of people's favorite, quite honestly.
1: Yeah. Probably.
0: Uh, we have second generation superstar Kurt Henning.
1: Yeah, man, what a champ too! What a performer, a wrestler, athlete. Wouldn't want to become, of course, Mister Perfect. I mean, what's that say, you know? Yeah. But uh, Kurt Hennig here in AWA, he had one title reign. He had a he, he had it for 373 days. He had a 60 minute match. Then turns heel in a follow up match using a roll of dimes. I want you to tell me that because you always enjoy telling me that. Tell me how you how much of a heel. Uh, Zabisco was oh, when it just worked out. Uh, I know you love that story. Tell us. Yeah. Well, so Tell us our fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: well, this is like, I think the match, the 60-minute match between Henning and Bachwinkle might be the first Broadway I remember. Okay. Because I remember it was like, a, New Year's Eve was the night I watched the match. I was over at my cousin's house, and he had one of those old-school big-screen TVs yeah, And just the week before we watched this, he had shot the middle of the TV screen with a 22 because he was fucking around <laughs> and shouldn't have been. But we're watching this match on one of those big projection TVs, and it's Bachwinkle and Henning. And for me, Henning at this time was still Scott Hall's tag team partner. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, you know, like when you first stand up, Bret Hart was world real champion, and you're like, well, the guy who used to tag with right. You Right. Know, th- that, that same kind of thought. And this match changed my view on Henning, because he goes 60 minutes of Bachwinkle, which is no small feat. I don't think these guys did the same move twice at any point in this match. Yeah. But they were both baby faces at the time, so, you know, these guys were stomping the shit out of each other, but not really doing anything too dirty, just wrestling, you know. And I mean, like, every move you can name was probably in this match. Then you get to the follow-up match, which I don't remember how much later it was, but it was right here in California at Daily City. And Henning's wrestling Bachwinkle and all of a sudden Zabisco comes out to ringside <laughs> and everybody's just like, well, what the fuck's Zabisco doing out here? And, uh, he hands, he hands Henning a roll of dimes for a fist pack and Henning bops Bachwinkle with it. And you see dimes go flying. <laughs> he gets the pin. They award him the title, but they immediately held it up because Zabisco interfered. Now, the AWA Rules Committee decided later that, nope, nope, there's no proof of interference. <laughs> so, uh, Kurt Henning got the title. And a great
1: champion, too, man. Yep. Great physique, could always talk, and there wasn't. I don't think there's anything he couldn't do in a ring. And I saw some footage this week. Uh, of course, it was a little bit later on in his career in his footage. But I said it, and I, I swear, I don't think anyone, and I mean anyone, took bumps the way Kurt Hanning did in that ring. I mean, just from a simple chop to someone kicking the back of his leg, just the the smallest that, he turned it into the most incredible, perfect bumps that you can take man it was it was wild uh Kurt Henning was just a hell of an athlete and hell of a wrestler, a hell of a performer, you know a hell of a champion obviously for the a w a he put the title on him so great deal there great deal
0: yeah and um, well, and that that's going to say something because again, Vern didn't put the title on you unless you were a hell of a wrestler. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and, you know, his dad was obviously Larry the Axe So, I mean, they were they were an AWA family, of course, out of Robbinsdale, where every wrestler came yep. from for about 30 years there.
1: Yeah, seemed like it. Yeah, yeah, the Minnesota crew, man, I swear. You get down there at them Disney tapings, uh, well, Universal tapings, when I was in WCW, we did, uh, they did record at Disney. Uh, when I got there, it was at uh, Universal Studios, you had been a big, huge studio, and uh, everyone just kind of segregated themselves. You hung out with, you know, who you mostly roomed with or wrestled with or traveled with in your little cliques, you know, mm-hmm. and it was always the Minnesota boys were over there. There's a bunch of guys, just a shitload of guys, you know. They was uh, off Minnesota. Then there would be the Florida boys. Everyone, you know, uh, had wrestled, come through the Florida circuit, you know. It's uh, just really funny. All the Japanese guys, pretty much all stayed with the Japanese guys. Mexican guys, all stayed with the Mexican guys, you know. Um, so it's pretty cool, though, because there are a lot of those guys, like you say, you go down a list, and uh, the Minnesota crew was just a huge group of guys over there, you know. Yeah. Uh, so many of them had come through there. I got to be- work with Henning just one time. It was in a tag match. I think it was with uh, Lenny Lane. I could be wrong on that, but I, I do recall the uh, when they were doing the um, the redneck gimmick, uh, yeah.
0: the, West uh, Texas Outlaws yeah, or whatever. Yeah, West
1: Texas. Thank you. And it was uh, Kurt Henning and Bobby Jaggers Jr. and uh, myself. And I'm, I'm pretty sure. And I, I, I said that Lenny Lane because I'm thinking maybe uh, uh, Lodi come out there with him too. I could be wrong. On that, but that's why I'm drawing a blank, but the main thing was is' one of those deals where uh, again, I got to get in a ring, started something with Bobby real quick, tagged out, Kurt comes in, does something, and then I get to be in a ring with kurt when when my partner tags out, and it's just you know, super fast, super light uh just a real good experience to be in there with, you know, a, I do remember this too. It's going to be a really like sometimes you have TV and I'll say, you know, get a six minutes out there, uh, count music, you know, or get a six minutes uh, after music. And and a lot of times, you know, you have time to to play around or goof around or do something and, um, and, and have some fun with someone that you know how to work, you know, especially if they know you know how to work as well. But um, it was one of those matches, unlike the the six-man tag I mentioned, it went like nine minutes with the English guys. Uh, this one here, we had like probably six minutes, and by the time we got to the curtain, it was like, all right, you got three minutes, get in what you can. And by the time we hit the ring and and I locked up with Bobby Jr., like, uh, man, we got three minutes. And he goes, yeah, done something. Like I said, I tagged out, he tagged out, and then Kurt come in. Uh, the guy tagged me back in. I'm in mean, there Kurt, and Kurt's going like, we got a minute, let's go. And then I tagged back out. It was one of those things you didn't have time. You're professional enough to know this is our time. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So you can shine while you can shine and do what you can, but hell, you can't do everything in the world that you want to do in a match uh, for TV. Anyway, it's just one of those things. I did get to share the ring with him. Um, I wish it had been a lot longer. I could have done a program with him, but I I wasn't in that league, man. He was in a league of his own. You know, he was up there at the main event, guys, where he should have been. Good for him. And uh, good for him being an AWA world champion, too.
0: Yeah, and that belt he carried was a nice-looking belt.
1: That would have been the one that would, after the stand, destroyed one. <laughs> yeah, time, it's when they made the new one.
0: Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't the inmate belt; it was the one after.
1: That's going to bring us to our number two, I think, well, Professor. Well, Unless I got, you have anything else to say? I'm well, sorry.
0: I actually had a question for you. Didn't you have another oh, story about Curt Henning?
1: Oh my goodness, yes. You know what, man? I'm thank you for recalling, man. Yes. Okay, so I've only been in WCW. I had my tryout match. I went to Disney for like 14 days and I come home and I was supposed to be off. So I'd been there probably three weeks, man, and I flew out to San I remember it San Bernardino, California, is where I was at. I was sitting in a locker room, had my match, changing this and that, whatever. There's a gym bag beside me. No idea who it is, because a lot of times you know who you're sitting by, who you're hanging out with, this and that, this not that situation. I'm just in a locker room. I sit down by myself. I remember this big boss man had been sitting beside me when I came in there earlier that evening. Uh, I do recall that because Ray and I used to always talk to each other about motorcycles and hunting, just a whole bunch of different stuff that was of interest uh, to us. But anyway, I come back and I'm sitting there and there's a bag beside me and it's got locks on it. Someone has locked this bag up. And next thing I know, Kurt Henning is standing there over me and he's, he's looking down at the bag, goes, fuck, whatever he says. He's looking around. And I I just look up, man. I make eye contact. I'm the only one in that area at this time. And his bag is right beside me. Like I said, it wasn't there earlier because I don't think he was dressing beside me, buddy. You know, nothing like that. And I'm just taking my gear off. And I go, hey, man, I don't have anything to do with that. (laughs) Because I'm automatically thinking heat, man. I'm new here. And if he thinks I'm ribbing him, I'm dead meat, you know. Mm. So I was like, oh shit. But I said, hey, man, I just looked up. I'm sitting down. And I say, hey, man, I have nothing to do with it. He goes, oh, I know who this guy is already because I've got a long history of this guy. Believe that. And he just kind of picked his bag up and looked at it. And I was like, well, I think he knows it's not me, you know. He just puts it back down. So apparently he had, uh, had to locate the bag, which ended up being beside me. So I'm like, oh, fuck, I could have been set up right there. Yeah. But, but I wasn't, thankfully. And, and Henning immediately knew who it was. I'm almost positive. That it was mongo if i'm not mistaken and he had been off a couple of days and uh anyway i think mongo is one point of rib on henning but henning was known for you know a bunch of ribs himself so he had already either gotten mongo or was going to get mongo back but i know this uh, he left the bag there and i you know, went ahead and got dressed. Actually, I had to come from the doctor's office too. I had to see a doctor that, that day, uh, prior to going back to where my clothes were. So, uh, anyway, about 30 minutes later, a guy from the building came in with bolt cutters and, and cut the uh, thing off. But Henning didn't move. He stayed, he left his stuff there and like, you know, I know who this guy is and I'm pretty, and I had to fly home. That's the other thing. They put me on a red eye. I had an injury. That's why I had to fly home. That's why I was in a doctor's office. But, um, Anyway, I'm sure what I, do, I was supposed to do the rest of that loop out there in L.A. because I had flown in LAX and San Bernardino and uh, shoot, we were supposed to do like three other towns. Anyway, I didn't do them, but I imagine somewhere on that road trip, uh, Henning got even with either Mongo or who actually whoever it was that actually put a rib on him by putting his uh, uh, putting big security locks on his. Uh, His gear bag, you know, so yeah, yeah, I'm glad you told me, reminded me to tell you that because I I really I thought, oh, shit, I'm in trouble and I'm not doing anything. You know, I'm just sitting here trying to get my I'm trying to get dressed so I can catch a red red eye flight back to the East Coast. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So uh, but yeah, Henning knew, though. He knew it wasn't me. And I was like, oh man, that's cool, you know. And I, that's the thing too, uh, very professional, you know. He didn't just, uh, you know, like you little fuck you. Or, did you see who done it? And nothing like that. He 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 had been around the business enough to know that I probably wouldn't have said anything if I did know, because you know it's not my business. But also, this guy's is just keeping his mouth shut anyway, and, and he has nothing to do with it. So uh, yeah, he knew. And like I said, he um, I'm sure he got vengeance uh, when you know revenge or whatever when he found out who it was. But I'm almost positive it's Mongo, and they all had their own thing going on. So um, I'm glad I wasn't part of that rib, man. So
0: yeah, could you imagine? Like that probably happened to somebody else in a similar situation. But the guy whose bag it was was like Sean Michaels, and that guy got fi- this poor bastard his second week on the job oh, yeah. would have got fired and probably beat up by you know, uh, yeah. you know Scott Hall and Kevin Nash afterwards. I mean, you could see yeah, how sure that could like
1: that happen, oh yeah. yeah,
0: you could see how that could go bad real easily. Yeah.
1: And I'm the kind of guy I would have stood up and said, you know, I, I just, I always thought, you know, be a man. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to fight him, want to confront him or anything. But I'd have stood up and said, hey, man, I, I told you I had nothing to do with it. And I didn't see anyone have done anything. And, you know, try to leave it at that. But he, 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 he he knew immediately, like, I didn't have any. As soon as he just said fuck or whatever, looked over, it, you know, he's like, this guy, this guy ain't got anything to do with fish, you know. So yeah. I was like, I, I could tell by the groove, you know. When I, I looked at I was like, hey, man, I ain't nothing to do with that. He he's like, yeah, I know. I've got a history of this guy. I know it is, you know. Yeah. So I was like, that's cool, man. Because uh, they had their own thing going on, you know. Um, I never was much into ribbing people or being ribbed. I liked having fun on the road and stuff. But, man, you know, I never fucked with no one's bag. Didn't like anyone fucking fuck with my bag to this day if it's not mine i don't touch it man that's just the way i am Um, i figure if you want me to have something you'll share it with me or give it to me you know or i'm buying it from you otherwise i ain't gonna fuck with it
0: yeah absolutely. (laughs) and that's the way i
1: i want you to do the same for my shit you know unless i'm sharing it with you or giving it to you stay the fuck out of it as long as it's not my last beer (laughs) because i'll give that to you too you know what i'm saying yeah but um that's just the way I was always brought up, so uh, I'm glad I wasn't a part of that. Uh, being on the uh, receiving end of uh, starting some shit I shouldn't have started, and also trying to finish it because them guys were probably in a league of their own. Uh, like Owen, I know he was known for uh, you know greatest ribs and stuff like that, and Henning was known to do some nasty ribs. And and uh, um, I see Mr. Fuji. They said he done some of the worst ribs, Fuji. But uh, I'm just glad I wasn't around some of that stuff because. Uh, uh, that's just not my character, man. I'm rather just, you know, mind my own business, do my own thing.
0: So. Well, you know what? I was just, I'll do this, and then we'll keep moving. But I was just watching a yeah. thing the other day, and it was a fairly recent interview with Lex, uh, Lex Luger. And somebody asked him, like, "Hey, did you ever meet Fuji while you were at the WWF, and did you ever get hit by one of his ribs?". I guess Fuji would just flat out piss on somebody's shoes, like under a yeah. table. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I, just I heard like,
1: that too. Oh, what be the? Talking to you to be pissed
0: on you? Yeah. I was just, what the fuck, man? Come on. How do you even respond to that, you know? Yeah. Jesus Christ. All right. Well, let's get on to our number two spot here. And uh, for my money, not just one of the greatest AWA champions, but I think an argument could be made the greatest world champion anywhere. We're going to go with Nick Bockwinkle.
1: Yeah, what a choice right here. And I think we did early on in these podcasts. You know, I I, I picked Ric Flair and you picked Nick Bockwinkel as the world's greatest champion of all time. And I tell you what, man, it's 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 a it's an easy sell from Nick Bockwinkel to be one of the greatest champions of all time in the world of professional wrestling uh, above everyone else. He's such a champion, man.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and he had such a vocabulary that when he cut an interview or done a promo or done a promo and cut an interview. He, he spoke above everyone's head, but, but to the point that you understood what he meant and what he was going to do was very serious. Great body and great in-ring skills, man. I mean, second to none, in-ring technical skills. And also, if he needed to, uh, you know, cheat a little bit or, or do a little couple, he'll think he'd done it in such a way, it was just so smooth that you're almost like, wait a minute, what did he he didn't have to do that but he did it, you know, kind of. Yeah. Thing. And also, you know, as as we've talked off the air here, the the AWA here is pretty straightforward. You heard of a lot of these names over and over and over that we've talked about. Nick Bockwinkel had that title four times. I think would you say 2990 days that he held that yeah. um, that title. I've already mentioned what a technical wrestler he was, man, it was great. I'll let you go ahead and say a few more things there, Professor, because I, I just I think the world of uh, Nick Bockwink was a champion. And I'll tell you this, I had I mentioned my friend Frank Shanley uh, last week when he'd come down and spend a couple of days and we'd watch wrestling. A couple of winters ago we watched, uh, before this podcast started, so probably like three years ago we'll say, he came down and we we spent a day, we watched a lot of the old Memphis with Lawler, and we watched the uh, Bockwinkel matches with, with Lawler. Just tremendous performer. Back then, I was like, man, Bockwinkel was a great champion, great champion. Well, then we started a podcast, and I realized when you started telling me some different things, so we, we worked it out to where, I like I said, I had Flair, and you had Bockwinkel, and and rightfully so, et cetera, that uh, I, you had me convinced. I was like, holy shit, when I watched all those matches of Bockwinkel, man, I was like, yeah he he could easily be the best in the world ever you know oh yeah and uh, and I appreciate that because I had to go back and really think about, wow, you know he wasn't just the a w a champion, he was a great champion man uh, yeah. his his body of work stands by itself, for Everyone he got to work with
0: well, you know, so he was a second generation guy, and his dad actually helped train luthez, so Warren Bockwinkle, his dad was a you know badass wrestler, so Nick Bachwinkle came by it honestly. Yeah. But, you know, he also, he did the work, you know. I mean, when he wasn't practicing wrestling, he was reading a dictionary so he could piss off the audience. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I know Tony Schiavone will tell you that he was the dumbest guy he ever met, but I bet you by the time Schiavone met him, Alzheimer's had already taken, taken a toll on him, you know. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, you because know, he was, I mean, you got to figure, he must have been 50 when he wrestled Henning. Yeah. So, you know, a handful of years later, he's in the 60s, and, you know, I'm sure he'd taken a crack on the head or two along the way as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: the dimes the dimes got
0: him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damn right. Uh, the, you know, he got his first title reign in 1975 at the age of 40. Man. So, you know, they they made him work for a while. Now, of course, by then, he'd been a multiple-time tag team champion with Ray Stevens. He feuded with guys like Billy Robinson, Dick the Bruiser, the Crusher, Tito Santana, Mad Dog Vachon, Jerry Lawler, Otto Fonts, <clears throat> Mr. Saito, Jim Brunzel, Greg Gagne, Vern Gagne, and, of course, the immortal Hulk Hogan.
1: Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, and you can double-check this or fact-check it, I think, didn't at one time, they do, uh, didn't he wrestle Harley Race and Bob Backlund, too? Didn't they do at, at one time? Uh, they they
0: put, did. Or something, of, yeah. Um, well, well, yeah, because they, they had those inter-promotion title matches here I and there. I want to
1: say was in the early 80s, and I'm just going off of memory, from it, uh, and I'm sure I could look it up on YouTube and find it, maybe. But um, I'm, there's a... Uh, a uh, picture in a magazine, and it had uh, Bockwinkel, Baiklin, and um, uh, Harley Race, and I think they did a, a deal. Uh, if not in the U.S., I think they either tagged. I know there's Bachwinkle and Race in a tag match in Japan I've seen. Anyway, look that up out there because I think you'll find it really interesting. Hell, I might do that this evening myself, man. Um, I'm pretty sure some some matches from Japan and Bachwinkle and Race were on the same team. Uh, yeah, and then I think there's also a match with Bachwinkle and uh Backlund too. So double check that.
0: Yeah, I just found just doing a quick search, I just found a magazine cover that has the three of them together.
1: Okay, yeah. Was that about eighty or so? Or uh, what yeah, day?
0: what year was this? Um seventy nine.
1: Okay, there you go. Yeah. I knew it, I knew yeah, it yeah.
0: You know what? I think I think maybe Bachwinkle and Backlund Wrestle and Backlund and Race Wrestle. Maybe something like that. Yeah, I'll I'll have to look into right.
1: it. I
0: think you're right. But um, you know, even Rick Martel got a match against Ric Flair, you know, a quote unquote, you know, unification match. It's funny yeah. how those always ended in a double count out, isn't it? I
1: know, man. Yeah. Promoters, promoters, you know. Yeah. <laughs> weirdest, working us, man.
0: Weirdest thing. You'd almost almost think it was fixed. Almost yeah. think it was predetermined. Um, it. Yeah, yeah, and see, and as far as like Bachwinkle, I think the first conversation you and I ever had on the telephone was Bachwinkle Flair talk. Yeah, yeah. You know, and Bockwinkle, just like Flair, he can make anybody else look like a million bucks. Now, Ric Flair kind of did it by having the same exact perfect match with with anybody he could. Yeah, But Bockwinkle never met, wrestled the same match twice. Right. His always looked different because, again, it was just out-and-out out technical proficiency, whereas Ric Flair was putting on a show. Exactly, yeah. You know, I mean, neither one's better than the other, and I think, honestly... Trying to argue or figure out who was the better of those two is an impossible thing to do. I would just say that there's yeah. an argument that could be made for Bockwinkle.
1: I absolutely agree with you, and um, and I appreciate you sharing that insight with me about that. Um, cause it smartened me up pretty quick, because I, I grew up seeing a lot of Bachwinkle. Actually, I saw more Bockwinkle younger than I did Flair until, until I hit my probably mid-teens. Yeah. I started seeing a lot more Rick Flair with the, uh, like I said, mid-Atlantic TV hitting our area. So, yeah, uh, good stuff. Well, real quickly, Jeremy, let me just put this out there, because I know we'll get to our number one. Yeah. Um, I'm going to promote my books real quick, guys. Listen, got a couple books out there. If you're new to the program, um, if you if you if you're old to the program, I'm sorry you are going to hear it, but if you're new to the program, let me just give you the rundown real quickly. Um, two books, they're both available on Amazon. Also got some ebooks available on Amazon. I won't talk about those right now, but my two books, if you want to get an actual copy of the book, uh, the first book is called Pin Me Pay Me Have Boost for Travel. If you'll use tinyurl.com/blaze book1, it'll take you right to the link and if you purchase that book, the show will get a little bit of a kickback. And believe me, it's just a little bit, but um but every little bit helps. So, uh, pin me, pay me, have boost for travel is at tinyurl.com slash one. My second book called I kicked out on two, the education of a wrestler. Um, if you go to tinyurl.com slash two, that'll take you to that shortcut. It'll put you right there on the Amazon page. Um, and again, the show will get a little bit of kickback out of that purchase. If you do, I'll get a smile on my face. Jeremy will get a little bit of a deposit, his, uh, Amazon affiliate account, and we appreciate you helping to. to to help sponsor the show in some small way. And I think uh, you'll enjoy the books. Uh, Many people have. Pin Me, Pay Me has over a hundred different reviews and and ratings, and I appreciate that. All up there above, around 4.0 and above. Uh, I kicked out on two. the Educational Wrestling has about 20, 25, I'm not sure, uh, reviews on it. Please, if you do read one of the books, whether you download it on Kindle, using the free Kindle app, or again, you know, purchasing a book, um, please leave a review. Just leave an honest, a fair and honest review, that's all I ask, because um, reviews do help authors sell books, and it uh, gives me a little bit of money at the end of the month uh, for my Amazon account, so we appreciate uh-huh. that very much. We're not here begging, borrowing, stealing yet. We're just asking you, hey, um, if you'd like to help the show out, uh, you can go to Anchor. FM, you know, there's a microphone there. Leave us some matches there. You can also donate 99 cents or $4.99 a month. That'll help the show some too. Or if you purchase one of the books, again, the show will get a little bit of kickback out of that. And I appreciate it very much. And that's my spew on that because I know we're getting ready to go to number one. And with all this great talk, Jeremy, um, I'm pretty sure most people that smart to the business now know. Yeah, Can yeah, wait wait, 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 wait,
0: wait, wait. Let me I I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to okay, do this. You I wanna, it. Yeah, okay, Yeah, Okay. So our number 1 most consequential AWA World Champion is Dr. X, Dick Buyer. All right, Dr. X. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 Doctor,
0: what? He
1: Debbie Harry better be his damn manager. I know that. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh man.
0: I, I came up with this idea while looking at pictures of Debbie Harry, so Is that what? Yeah. It was?
1: Okay. Yeah. And I think I am vacator or someone sent that picture in. I'm not sure who, but i tell you, it's like from the 1970s. Is that the L.A. form? And I think she got tights on, but I could uh, have sworn with panties, but I could be wrong. If, but, uh, uh,
0: you know, I think from the right light, it looks like she's not wearing anything.
1: Exactly. That's Yeah, what I, yeah that's in my 50-year-old mind. Yep. But she's got the Dr. X t-shirt on, and so you're going to give him Dr. X Dick Buyer. Let him be the number one AWA World Heavyweight Champion. Huh? Well, who,
0: who else could it be? I mean, who else would be uh, the AWA number one most consequential champion?
1: If we said it once on this program today, we've probably said it a hundred times. Vern Ganya.
0: Vern Ganya. <laughs> ten, yeah. ten title reigns lasting 4,677 days. Jeez. Man. Um, You know, we we covered the story of how he became champion. You know, he gave Pat O'Connor 90 days to get in there and defend the title. That didn't happen. Vern Gagne named himself champion. You know, one of the things I noticed about the AWA is that if somebody bounced while they had the title, they gave it to whoever they thought was the next guy in line. They didn't do tournaments very often. Yeah. They just kind of handed it, you know, somebody leaves, you hand it to Nick Bockwinkel or Vern Gagne or whoever the next guy in line is. Vern was a hell of a wrestler. Yeah. I believe he wrestled in the Olympics in 48.
1: I was going to say, I think it's in 1948 Olympics.
0: Yeah. That is correct. You know, he took this company and made it, like, the, one of the two dominant companies in the country. Um, you know, he uh, feuded with Gene Kinesky, Bill, Dr. Bill Miller, you know, Dr. X and Mr. M, obviously. Fritz Von Erich actually got a title here. The Crusher, Ray Stevens, Mad Dog Vachon, Larry Henning, Nick Bockwinkle. He also unified the Omaha version of, of the world title with the AWA title. Okay. It it comes at a double whammy as far as getting the lineage back to the original world title as well.
1: Done actually as a professor. I appreciate that. And, you know, there's so many guys, like I said earlier, the AWA is pretty much a straight, list of people you know that we talked about today there's a there's a few other people that's on that list that had those titles early on through the years uh and we ribbed around about dr x and, and some of the other guys what have you the fact is you know Vern built that company on his back basically like you said you, you told the history of that and he kept it all those years and and even when you talking about zabisco you keep it in a family you know kind of thing but most people and i imagine most of our fans some of them uh may remember a little bit farther than I do or you do. But most of them probably going to remember uh, those years of Vern and uh, Bach Winkle holding the title probably more than anyone else. Yeah. Um, unless you got a special memory in your head, like I said, maybe about Kurt Henning being a champion or, or maybe uh, um, like, you know, I remember when Lawler got it and that's why I chose him. But uh, so I'm sure there's a lot of guys at AWA that we didn't mention on that. But here's what we think were our top five, you know, and we hope you like them. I, I know. Jeremy here, I, he's a professor. He he actually sends me some stuff. I send him some stuff. And then we just kind of put it together and, 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 and make a program with it. And these last three weeks have been excellent uh, just in the history of professional wrestling. I think our fans have really appreciated, you know, some of the stuff we've talked about, the pre-NWA and NWA, now the AWA. Next week, as far as we know, unless something does change, we're going to be doing the WWF slash E. Um, and and I don't know. We'll hopefully get that into a, a one hour podcast or less. Jeremy, unless you have anything else to say, I'm gonna go ahead and sign myself off. Uh, well, if you got questions for me or anything? Yeah, I go, you know,
0: I, I got a, I got a couple things I want to throw out I here. Know we
1: got some sponsors. I just yeah. was curious if I need to get off here or not.
0: No, no, no you just hang out for a minute. But I do want to cover that okay. that I you know at one point the AWA title was unified with the WCWA title into the USWA title. And then Vern, like every other time he had gotten into a compact with other promoters, he fucked around and pulled out of that. Uh, but the USWA title was based on a, a shared lineage of the CWA, AWA, and WCWA, which was WCCW. Okay. So that was there. Um, yeah, Bobby, I feel I feel like I'm letting our audience down a little bit. How so? Well, you know, I kind of kind of teased the guitar thing at the beginning.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I
0: mean, do you do you play do you play guitar?
1: The back, you know what I, 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 <laughs> funny you should ask. I I played one song ever on a guitar dun 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 I could play Smoke in the Water, just that little riff right there. It's the only thing I ever learned in a guitar, man. Oh. Maybe if I had El an Elkabon guitar, I could have learned better. I don't well, know, man. you know,
0: it's, what's special about the Elkabon guitars is they're impossible to tune. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm
1: tune death anyway, probably.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see, these guitars, these guitars aren't for playing. They're they're for selling. Okay. You ever, you, you ever sold a guitar?
1: I got a feeling I'm fucking about to.
0: (laughs) And bam. Yeah. Uh. There.
1: Okay. So, anyway, I'm going to log off here. I want to say to all the wrestling fans out there for the Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze podcast, thank you very much. Thank you, Professor. Um, Fans, come back next week. We'll, We'll be here again. Take care of each other out there, man. Like I said, it's a cold world right now. That virus is like a cold boot in the ass trying to hit everyone with it. So uh, wear your face mask. Wash your hands. Uh, stay safe. Stay strong. And until next week, I'm Bobby Blaze. Professor, go ahead and close us out,
0: please. Well, and like Bobby was saying, you know, you can pick your friends and you can pick your nose. But when you pick your friend's nose, you pick the nose of everybody your friends ever picked the nose of. So wear a finger condom as well. <laughs> And, uh, with that, for myself, Professor Jeremy Vilmer and, uh, Robert Blaze, to all you humanoids, we'll see you next week.